Louisville burns after officers aren't charged in the death of Breonna Taylor. Trump refuses to say he'll hand over power after the election. And Anthony Fauci gets testy with Rand Paul over COVID measures. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. My savvy fans secure their internet. Join them at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Quick reminder, we have a backstage scheduled for September 29th for the first presidential debate. Yes, we will be hanging around and watching that bleep show, a debate between the Swedish chef and Chewbacca for all the marbles. 5.45 p.m. Pacific time, 8.45 p.m. Eastern time. Become a subscriber for special privileges during our backstage over at dailywire.com. We're going to get to all the news in just one moment. First, let us talk about the fact that you could be saving a lot of money on your cell phone bill, like a lot of money on your cell phone bill. Think about all of the money that you are automatically giving to that cell phone company for things like unlimited data. Are you using unlimited data? You probably aren't. In fact, if you are using less than two gigs of data, you are really, really overpaying for that cell phone bill. Right now, the average person is saving $400 a year on their wireless bill just by switching over to Pure Talk USA. Pure Talk will give you the exact same coverage, same tower, same bars, but it'll cost you half. No contract, no excessive fees. Right now, enjoy unlimited talk, text, two gigs of data, all for just 20 bucks a month. The average person is saving 400 bucks a year on their wireless bill. So grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. When you do, you'll save 250 bucks off any iPhone, including the new iPhone SE. Again, that is pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro. That's Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. There's no reason for you to spend too much on your cell phone bill when you get the same coverage for less money. Like why are you just flushing money down the toilet? Instead, grab that mobile phone, dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. When you do, you save 250 bucks off any iPhone, including that new iPhone SE. Go check out Pure Talk USA today. Okay, so last night, another city set on fire. Set on fire after there is an indictment that comes down for one police officer in the Breonna Taylor shooting. The indictment really was not because of the shooting at Breonna Taylor. It was because this officer filed, fired wildly and hit an apartment wall. And so the idea was that he had misused his firearm. Now, as I've been talking about for a while, see, here on this show, we like to give you the facts of scenarios so you know what's coming. Probably a month ago, I went through the timeline of the Breonna Taylor killing, and I talked about the fact that while it was a tragedy, there was no law breaking, and it would be nearly impossible to make a case against any of the officers in Breonna Taylor's killing. That's specifically because they had a well-predicated warrant, a no-knock warrant for her apartment, the reason being that she was caught on tape talking with her ex-boyfriend about being involved in drug trafficking, apparently, about using her apartment as some sort of pass-through where he could pick up his mail. And the cops had a no-knock warrant on her apartment. When they arrived, they apparently knocked despite the no-knock warrant. And then her boyfriend got out of bed and he didn't answer the door. He, he just apparently, as he was going to answer the door, he didn't know who it was. Even though they said they were the police, he didn't hear them say they were the police. And then they bust through the door, at which point he has a gun on him and he fires at the police. He hits one of the police officers. They fire back at him. And in the process of firing back at him, they kill Breonna Taylor, who was behind him. Okay, that is a tragedy, and it's a horrible tragedy. It does not mean a crime was committed. This was a well-predicated, no-knock warrant. Even in order to prove there was a crime that was committed, what you would have to prove is that not only was the warrant bad, the cops knew the warrant was bad, and they decided to serve it anyway. And then they decided that they were going to act in violent, in violent measures with a bad warrant in order to hurt Breonna Taylor. And you can't prove any of those elements. The, the, lawyers have been saying this for a long time on the Breonna Taylor case. And not just me, I'm talking about People on the left who have studied this case recognize that there was almost no chance of bringing a prosecution in this case. Again, because the timeline just does not lend itself 
to a prosecution in this case because the cops didn't do anything criminal here. Just because something bad happens doesn't mean that the bad thing that happens involves violent lawbreaking. Bad things happen every day. That does not mean that the person who was involved in the bad thing is to blame when you are talking about criminal liability. Here's a brief timeline of what actually happened in the Breonna Taylor case. And see, here on the show, we like to talk about the facts of cases because it explains whether people's reactions are justified. I understand that in the media, everybody's reaction to any situation is justified just so long as it cuts against the narrative that America's good. If America is bad, your reaction is always justified. It doesn't matter if Breonna Taylor's officers, actually, if the killers in the Breonna Taylor case, accidental killers in this case, if those people got off because they should get off, that doesn't matter. It is instead indicative of deeper American cruelty and racism. It doesn't matter if Michael Brown was shot justifiably. It does not matter if Jacob Blake was shot justifiably. It does not matter if Rayshard Brooks was shot justifiably. None of that matters. The only thing that matters to people who are in the media, apparently, is the narrative that America is bad, filled with racist cops. And every single law enforcement scenario that does not end with a cop going to jail is more evidence that America's cops are systemically racist and that America itself is shot through with 1619-style slavery-based racism. This is the take of the media. We don't do that here because it turns out that you usually want to link facts with the underlying narrative. Facts don't care about your narrative, you might say. The facts are what the facts are. Well, in this particular case, the facts demonstrate that the officers, the officers clearly should not have found themselves in the position of criminal liability with regard to the death of Breonna Taylor. Here is what the, the Louisville Courier-Journal had to say about the timeline. On December 30th, the police executed three search warrants in the Russell neighborhood, seizing several guns and narcotics. Among the six people subsequently arrested was Jamarcus Glover, Brianna Taylor's ex-boyfriend. On January 2nd, using a surveillance camera, police saw a white Chevy Impala pull up in front of 2424 Elliott Avenue, which is one of the houses hit with a search warrant a few days earlier. Glover got out of the passenger side of the car, registered to Taylor. Glover is seen driving to Taylor's Springfield Drive apartment and walking inside on January 16th. After a brief stay, police saw Glover leave with a suspected U.S. Postal Service package and then drive to a house on West Muhammad Ali Boulevard, which was also hit with a search warrant on December 30th. On February 14th, after an officer towed his car from West Muhammad Ali Boulevard, Glover attempted to file a complaint against the officer. The phone number he gave on the complaint was registered to Taylor. On March 12th, the warrants were set in motion. As of midday, Detective Joshua Jones an officer in the place-based investigations unit of the Criminal Interdiction Division requested five no-knock search warrants from Circuit Judge Mary Shaw for an ongoing narcotics investigation. Okay, the warrants were predicated on a 39-page document demonstrating links between Glover and Taylor, including prison visits and prison phone calls between Taylor and Glover, in which they discussed the, the movement of packages, for example. At 12.25 p.m., Shaw signed off, this is the judge, on the affidavits for the first two warrants for houses at 2020, 2424, and 2425 Elliott Avenue, and then a few minutes later signed off on 2426 Elliott Avenue, and then another house at 2605 West Muhammad Ali Boulevard. And then a few minutes after that, the judge signed off on the search of Taylor's apartment, which was 10, 10 miles away in South Louisville. Why? Well, because in the affidavit, the officer wrote that Glover's car had made frequent trips to Taylor's Springfield Drive apartment that Glover walked directly into Taylor's apartment on January 16th. A U.S. Postal Inspector verified that Glover did receive packages at Taylor's apartment. Remember, Glover was running a drug trade. Taylor's car had been seen in front of the Elliott Avenue on different occasions. At approximately 9 p.m., Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, this is not her ex-boyfriend, Jamarcus Glover was her her ex-boyfriend. Her new boyfriend was Kenneth Walker, who, by the way, was friends with, with Glover, apparently. Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, get home from dinner at Texas Roadhouse and giving a friend's kids rides across town. It was Taylor's first night off after a few consecutive days with 12-hour shifts as an ER technician. 
They climbed in bed, put on a movie. At approximately 10 p.m., police officers were briefed on the entry plan for Taylor's apartment just before midnight. About 45 minutes before serving the warrant, Mattingly said he drove by Taylor's apartment while another officer, Detective Mike Campbell, had an eye on the house. The only thing Campbell saw while watching Taylor's apartment, according to Mattingly, was the light on the TV in the bedroom. Police thought Taylor would be home alone. Inside the apartment, Taylor had fallen asleep watching the movie Freedom Writers, and Walker said he was starting to doze off. At 12.40 a.m., officers were in place outside Taylor's apartment and began to knock on the door. Remember, they didn't have to knock on the door because it was a no-knock warrant. After a few knocks, Mattingly said they began to identify themselves as police. There were There's at least one witness who said they identified as police. There were other witnesses who apparently said that they didn't hear them identify as police. They had no legal obligation to identify themselves as police. You may not like no-knock warrants, but this is a legal procedure in Louisville. The knocking startled Taylor and Walker out of bed. They began yelling out. So originally we were told, by the way, that Breonna Taylor was completely asleep. She was not. That is only relevant insofar as they did not just shoot a sleeping woman who was lying in bed. She apparently was behind him while she was awake. The knocking startled Taylor and Walker out of bed. They began yelling out, asking who was there, according to Walker, and they didn't hear a response, supposedly. After about a minute and hearing no response from inside, police used a battering ram to knock in the front door. So this is where the discrepancies begin between Walker's account and the police's account. And so Walker says he's yelling who's there, and the police say we didn't hear him. So maybe they didn't hear him because the door's so thick, or maybe they didn't yell out because he was getting a gun. After a minute and hearing no response from inside, police used a battering ram to knock in the front door. Walker had grabbed his gun as both he and Taylor pulled on clothes and went to answer the door. They left the bedroom. They hadn't made it down the hallway before the door started coming off its hinges. At 12.42 a.m., neighbors in the St. Anthony Garden Apartments called 911 to report gunshots. Walker said he fired one shot at a war- as a warning aimed at the ground, but that isn't true because he actually shot one of the police officers uh, in the leg. Officers on the scene dispatched, called dispatch to report that an officer had been shot at 12.43. Taylor was struck in the return fire by police. At 12.47 a.m., Walker himself called 911 and said somebody kicked in the door and shot my girlfriend at 12.48. That was Taylor's official time of death. Ten miles away, police were simultaneously raiding Glover's apartment, that was her ex-boyfriend, and three of his associates, and they had him in custody. They seized drugs, guns, and cash from those Elliott Avenue properties. The fifth warrant on West Muhammad Ali Boulevard was not executed. Police arrested Walker after commanding him to walk backwards as he left the apartment. At 1.10 a.m., police told dispatch there was a woman inside of the apartment. At 1.46 a.m., EMS left Taylor's apartment complex. Inside of Taylor's apartment, they found shell casings and bullets, but no drugs and no cash, although they did find mail for Glover, who again was the target of the narcotics investigation. And the warrants were predicated on the idea that Taylor had been working with Glover and receiving mail on his behalf. Okay, so here's the bottom line. This is a tragedy. Is that a law violation by the legal officers who are tasked with breaking up a drug ring? Is that a legal violation by them? Not, do you like no-knock warrants? That's not the question. I think that there's a case to be made against no-knock warrants, particularly in low-level drug cases. And the case is fairly good, actually. But does that mean that the police officers who were fired upon and returned fire and killed Breonna Taylor in the crossfire, that those officers are guilty of murder or manslaughter? Remember, the officers broke through the door on a legally predicated warrant, and they were shot at. Once they are shot at, they are going to return fire. By the way, the, the, the person who shot at them, Walker, originally he was charged with attempting to shoot a police officer, and then they dropped the charges after it became clear that Taylor was dead and there was going to be a lot of blowback. We still don't know the full circumstances surrounding what exactly happened in that apartment. What we do know is that if you fire on police officers, they're going to fire back at you. So whether he thought that he was firing at just a rando who was breaking down his door or whether he thought he was firing at the police, tragedy, not crime. And this is exactly the finding of the Louisville AG, of the Kentucky AG. Nonetheless, the city burns because the narrative does not matter. The narrative 
Uh, the narrative is the only thing that matters, rather. The facts do not matter whatsoever. The facts don't matter one iota to people who wish to burn things and pretend that every fact pattern is indicative of deeper American cruelty and bigotry. Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron, who is black, is also a Republican. He spoke at the RNC, you'll recall. He, uh, he announced the lack of charges yesterday. There was only one charge filed against an officer, and that was for essentially recklessly using his weapon because he fired uh, in the wrong direction and hit an apartment wall. And he said in the, in the middle of a statement that he met with Breonna Taylor's family, which, again, he should do. This is a tragedy, but it does not mean it was a crime. Here was the uh, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. To have to uh, sit in that room <clears throat> and provide the uh, information uh, to Ms. Palmer and to other members of the Taylor family, it's been a difficult day. This is a difficult day for everyone standing up here. Uh, this is a difficult day for those here that have to report this. And it's a very difficult day uh, for Louisville, all of the Commonwealth, all of the country. I recognize that. Okay, so obviously this is not somebody who is lacking in compassion, which is the only measure, by the way, for Democrats when they when they measure virtue. Are you somebody who can't? I mean, we've been told this about Joe Biden. Empathy is where it's at. Well, Cameron obviously is an empathetic person who's deeply disturbed by the situation. That does not change the state of the law. And this was the point that Cameron was making throughout yesterday, which is we have a legal process in place. Just because something bad and tragic happened doesn't mean that I am allowed to charge someone and put them in jail for a legal violation. Here was Daniel Cameron saying they were justified in the use of force. Our investigation showed and the grand jury agreed that Mattingly and Cosgrove were justified in the return of deadly fire after having been fired upon by Kenneth Walker. Let me state that again. According to Kentucky law, the use of force by Mattingly and Cosgrove was justified to protect themselves. This justification bars us from pursuing criminal charges in Miss Brianna Taylor's death. Okay, now remember, the police department in Louisville has already settled with the Taylor family for some $12 million. So civil liability did attach. They didn't admit civil liability, but they settled this thing out of court. So there's a difference between a criminal charge and a civil charge. Right? A civil case means that you are suing in tort. Okay, and the level of uh, the, the level of legal surety that you require in order to get a civil judgment is far less than the level of legal surety you require in order to get a criminal conviction. Criminal conviction is beyond a reasonable doubt. When it comes to a civil case, it can be preponderance of the evidence, for example, meaning like does a majority of the evidence show the officer shouldn't have done what they did. And police departments routinely settle out because they don't wish to brave a jury that may not like them very much in these cases. In any case, Cameron then called out the activist. He said, listen, you might want to look at the facts of the case instead of listening to the activist. Nobody's doing that, of course. There will be celebrities, influencers, and activists who, having never lived in Kentucky, will try to tell us how to feel, suggesting they understand the facts of this case and that they know our community and the Commonwealth better than we do. But they don't. Let's not give in to their attempts to influence our thinking or capture our emotions. At the end of the day, it is up to us. Okay, and he is right about all of this. By the way, again, Jamarcus Glover, who's the person who is involved with Breonna Taylor, is a bad dude. Okay, she was involved with him. She was changing her life is sort of what the story was, is that she'd broken up with him a month previous and she had moved on. And that was a good thing, obviously. But according to the police records, his actions basically led to all of this. 
I mean, he was using her house in order to receive packages in his drug ring, among other things. He also made her rent a car where he then left a dead body, apparently. And then because of using her apartment, he ended up leading the police to her door. I mean, there's a point that Thomas Chatterton Williams has been making. The facts of the case suggest that the outrage against the police is misplaced. The outrage really should be against her ex-boyfriend and against no-knock warrants generally, if you don't like no-knock warrants, that is fine. But instead, everybody has decided because... Again, we don't care about the facts in this day and age. Everybody has basically decided that the only thing that matters in the end is that the police are systemically racist in America is evil. So Joe Biden put out a statement from his basement where, by the way, Joe Biden has not emerged for days. Joe Biden has been doing this thing where he he calls a lid. Okay, I didn't know what that was until yesterday. Apparently calling a lid is where you just say, I'm not coming out of the basement the entire day so the media can go away. He did that at 9.36 a.m. Eastern time today. He's been doing it every single day. If this is a well man, why exactly is it that he has called a lid, I believe, 40% of the days of his campaign in the last several weeks? Why? Okay, but in any case, he puts out a statement. Here is his statement. In the wake of Breonna Taylor's tragic death, we mourn her mother. We mourn with her mother, family, and community, and asks ourselves whether justice could be equally applied in America. See, it's indicative of the evils of American due process that we actually use due process in this case, and we looked through the law, and that a black AG who has sympathy for Breonna Taylor's family, used the law instead of his own personal feelings to charge, which, by the way, is the way it's supposed to work. If you are a, a law enforcement officer, if you are an AG, if you are a district attorney, you're supposed to look to the law. You're not supposed to look to the mob outside your window. That is not justice. It is not justice to look to the mob outside your window and then decide, based on what they want, that you are going to swivel the law in order to achieve their purposes. That's not, it's the opposite of justice. It's mob rule. Cameron refused it. Joe Biden is calling for it. He says, I know for so many people today's decisions does not answer that call for equal justice. A federal investigation remains ongoing, but we do not need to wait for the final judgment of that investigation to do more to deliver justice for Brianna. We know what is necessary. We need to start by addressing the use of excessive force, banning chokeholds and overhauling no knock warrants. Okay, again, this was not a case of use of excessive force. They were fired upon. There was no chokehold that was applied in this particular case. And you can overhaul the no knock warrants, except that they knocked at the door and identified themselves, apparently, according to witness testimony. The former VP then added blandly that violence is not acceptable and said protests should be peaceful, adding, do not sully her memory or her mother's by engaging in any violence. It's totally inappropriate for that to happen, except that you keep fostering the notion that equal justice is not possible in the United States. When you say, OK, so you have people outside chanting no justice, no peace. Then you have Joe Biden saying, you're right, there's no justice. What do you think is the natural consequence of the statement no justice, no peace when you agree no justice? You can say, yeah, it would be nice if you guys peacefully protest. But you're out there literally saying that we've never done enough for equal justice and we cannot do enough for equal justice. You can't back the narrative in the absence of underlying facts. And yet that is exactly what Joe Biden and the media and celebrity class have done. So the celebrities get very angry. And I know that when I am looking for an excellent legal analysis of a given fact pattern, I go to Viola Davis. That's exactly where I go, the Oscar winner Viola Davis. She tweeted out, bull bleep decision. Black lives matter cannot be said enough times. Nobody's arguing that black lives don't matter. We're arguing as to whether legal criminal liability attaches when you're a cop, when you knock on the door, announce yourself, break in the door because you have a no-knock warrant, and then are fired upon, and then return fire. Mandy Moore, she tweeted out, I don't have the words. Hashtag Breonna Taylor and her family deserve justice. I mean, this isn't about, quote-unquote, justice for Breonna. This is about justice for the police officers who are on trial, Right. They're the ones who are going to have to be put through the justice system here. One of these officers is going to be charged with, again, misuse of his weapon. Justice for Breonna Taylor 
would be presumably, there are a couple of types of justice. One is like a cosmic justice. Okay, the, the courts of Earth are not granted the ability to grant some sort of cosmic justice. All they can do is follow the law as it exists. And in civil court, again, the Breonna Taylor family received $12 million in a settlement from the Louisville Police Department. Kerry Washington tweeted out, Daniel Cameron is on, Daniel, is on Donald Trump's shortlist as replacement of RGB on the Supreme Court. The same man who decided to not charge the officers responsible for killing Breonna Taylor. Vote. Oh, so it's the, Cameron's the bad guy, guys. Cameron is bad, you see, because Daniel Cameron followed the law and we don't want him to follow the law. We want Daniel Cameron to completely ignore the law and simply try officers for not violating the law. Ava DuVernay, who is the, the documentarian propagandist uh, who makes these absurd, overwrought documentaries about how American slavery never ended and such. She put out a, and, and who uh, cheered on the, the great citizens of Chaz Chop while that newly formed fascistic republic was created in the middle of Seattle. She tweeted out, God bless Brianna's family and all who knew and loved her. Her tragic death, compounded by the violence of silence and inaction by the city she called home, is more than any of them should have to endure. What do you mean the violence of silence and inaction? They went through a full-scale investigation. They paid her, 12, her family $12 million. That doesn't seem like violence and inaction, per se. The rapper comments tweeted out, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost all the time. James Baldwin, hashtag Breonna Taylor. Okay, again, quoting James Baldwin from like the civil rights era, 55 years later, as you know, a millionaire, famous black rapper, actor, seems mildly inappropriate. Mia Farrow, she tweeted out, so no one is responsible for killing Breonna Taylor? Well, actually, I mean, if we're going to parcel out responsibility, there are a few places to parcel out responsibility for the killing of Breonna Taylor. Number one is on Jamarcus Glover, her ex-boyfriend, who roped her into a drug ring. Okay, that would be where I would put most of the responsibility. And then there would be the boyfriend, for whom, again, it is not particularly clear why he was firing at the police officers. Did he not know who they were? If he didn't know who they were, that's somewhat justifiable. But at no point do the police officers become responsible for not returning fire when they are fired upon. You can put on the, the no-knock warrant. That's fine. But there's no criminal liability attached to police officers returning fire. Doesn't work that way. Yvette Nicole Brown tweeted out, no officers charged in the killing of Breonna Taylor. We know she's very serious because there are lots of periods in that sentence. It's no period, officers, period, charge, period, in, period, the, period, killing, period, of, period, Breonna Taylor, period, which is um, not proper grammar. One was charged for endangering but not killing her neighbors. Make me want to holler and throw up both my hands. The law is not a repository for your ire or your feelings. That is not how this works. Anthony Rapp, Black Lives Matter. Apparently he changed his name officially on Twitter. He tweeted out, Black Lives Matter, Breonna Taylor's life mattered. What has been announced in Kentucky is not even remotely in the realm of anything that even begins to approach true justice for her murder. That is a long run-on sentence. Okay, celebrities get mad. Okay, then over on ESPN, Jalen Rose, former NBA star, he interrupted in the middle of an NBA broadcast to simply shout that the cops needed to be arrested. Like this is literally in the middle of the NBA broadcast. An NBA broadcast where you can see up there in the rafters the hashtag United in Black and then uh, the Black Lives Matter on the court. It's just, um, in case you didn't get it, sports are now just MSNBC with various forms of bouncing balls. Jalen Rose, the announcer, literally just shouts in the middle of the broadcast that we need to arrest the cops. Thank you, DA Jalen. You know, DA Rose, I'm so glad that you were elected attorney general of the state of, of Kentucky so that you could simply effectuate the law as you see fit. I mean, this is the exact opposite of justice, by the way. Justice typically means that you have to be held accountable for the things that you do in terms of criminal liability, not that we craft a crime to fit a tragedy. That's not how any of this works. Here is Jalen Rose losing it last night in the middle of the broadcast. 
Tyler Hero scored in double figures every game this postseason? He's been putting in work for a young fella. But it'd also be a great day to arrest the cops that murdered Breonna Taylor. Um, that literally, this is during the halftime report. He, he, Tyler Hero's having a huge day. Also, do what I want you to do, legal system, even if it's not really in compliance with legal procedure. I, I can't imagine why the ratings are down. I know that when I watch sports, what I desperately need is Jalen Rose's criminal legal analysis. It's huge. I really need to hear it. LeBron James sounded off on it also, of course, because LeBron James is, again, one of our great legal scholars. Again, I would like to see a lawyer, like an actual lawyer, explain where the criminal liability lies here. I have yet to hear an actual qualified legal voice say that these officers should have been criminally charged on any side of the aisle, by the way. Left, right, center. It is nearly impossible to make. There were articles going months back quoting liberal professors at like the University of Kentucky talking about how there were going to be no charges in this case. This is not unexpected. This is fully expected. It should have been expected. We talked about the facts of this case months ago. But you have to understand the, the media fact pattern here. The media pattern is never discuss the facts of the case. Instead, say the name, don't look at any of the underlying details, and then just shout. And then just shout as loud as you can. Just, just shout as loud as you can about how every tragedy is a result of the American system. It is not that tragedy sometimes occurs in life through confusion, through chaos, through bad action by third parties. No, it's always the system. The system is to blame. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that these days, it seems like um, in a lot of major cities, violence is rising. And if you live in one of America's major cities, you can look around, you can see it in your daily lives. And now you're starting to see that chaos is starting to move out into the suburbs. If you're feeling unsafe these days, if you're a law-abiding citizen, now would be a good time to think about getting a firearm and more importantly, knowing how to use it, being educated about that firearm. This is why you should join up with the, the USCCA. That's the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. Right now, you can take a simple, powerful journey to firearm and self-defense confidence. It's called the Complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide from the United States Concealed Carry Association, the USCCA. It is 100% free. You will learn in this guide how to detect attackers before they see you, how to survive a mass shooting, the safest and most dangerous places to sit in a restaurant, how to responsibly own and store a gun, particularly if you have kids, and a whole lot more. It's 164 pages. It comes with a bonus audio version so you can listen whenever you want. It is really important to own a firearm if you're a law-abiding citizen. It is even more important to know your legal rights and how to use that firearm. Just text Ben to 87222 and get instant access and a chance to win 1000 bucks so you can buy a gun to protect your family. Text Ben to 87222 right now. Again, text Ben to 87222. And now, the reason I've been going through the Breonna Taylor fact pattern in, in great detail here is so that you know how full of crap our members of the media and celebrity class are. Just absolutely full of crap. So Joy Reid, who's awful, and given a show on MSNBC, despite the fact that she has bad old tweets that would get anybody else canceled, but apparently somebody went back in time and hacked her, her blog back in like 2003. Anyway, she went on MSNBC and she says, this, this decision by Daniel Cameron, it's a Black Lives Don't Matter ruling. Oh, is it, Joy? Then you explain to me how legal liability attaches to the legal performance of a no-knock raid that ends with somebody shooting at the cops and then returning fire and accidentally hitting a third party. You explain that. Here was Joy Reid saying it's a Black Lives Don't Matter ruling. Again, the narrative overcomes the facts every time. This was a Black Lives Don't Matter ruling because they said that her life was irrelevant, that the life of her boyfriend who was in the apartment with her didn't matter, that he attempting to defend her was the crime. The potential crime was him trying to defend his castle. So the castle doctrine is wiped away. 
when police bust into your home. You don't have the right to defend yourself. Well, actually, that's not really true, considering that in this particular case, the guy who shot at the police was not tried, right? They released him. Originally, they charged him. And and you do not have the right to resist arrest. So it was unclear whether he thought he was resisting arrest, in which case they could have charged him with attempted murder of a police officer, or whether he thought that he was firing on somebody just randomly breaking into his apartment. That's why they released him. He didn't end up in jail, did he? Then Joy Reid tweeted out, damn, this wasn't just a black lives don't matter decision. It was an only white lives matter decision. My God, this country can't get out of the 1920s. Can't it, Joy? Really can't it? I've noticed that you are a black woman who has a show on a major national network, a huge social media presence, and you say stuff like this routinely to the seal-like clapping of your fellow media members. I don't remember that happening in the 1920s when black people were literally being shot in the streets of Tulsa, Oklahoma for the sin of being black. I don't remember this happening in the 1920s when black people were literally prevented from voting by white mobs. I don't remember this happening in the 1920s when there were full legal regimes in place to prevent black people from drinking at the same water fountains as white people. Joy Reid, you idiot. I mean, seriously, this kind of stuff is just despicable. And it it infuses so much of the left's view on race in the country. What they'll do is they'll find something terrible that happened 100 years ago. And then they'll be like, you know what? Nothing's changed. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things. Like, for example, in the 1920s, let's say that the police had shot a black woman in the middle of a drug raid. Do you think that it would have been a black attorney general of the state deciding whether or not to charge? What do you think? Do you think that the the attorney general of the state of Kentucky in 1920 would have been black? I'm going to go no on that one, probably. But don't worry, nothing has changed. Nothing's changed. Don Lemon, another idiot on CNN. He decried the lack of indictments. Legal expert Don Lemon, who can't even explain what a constitutional amendment is. He's so dumb that Chris Cuomo even looks at him and is like, dude, you're a moron. Here is Don Lemon talking to Wolf Blitzer again. The meeting, the, the, the amount of wattage in prime time on CNN might be able to toast a piece of bread lightly if properly channeled. Here is Don Lemon, legal genius. It's just another instance as someone who works in the news media of there being, uh, I would say now, uh, three different justice systems, one systems in this country, one for police officers, one for Americans of color and one for white Americans. Uh, that's how folks will see it play out. But really, I think that the real tragedy, I know the real tragedy is for Breonna Taylor's family. I mean, how I feel it's, you know, it's inconsequential to how that family uh, must be feeling right now. Okay, when when he says things like, you know, people are going to see this. People are going to see this like there's one system of justice for black people and one system of justice for white people. Why are people going to feel that way, Don? Could it be because you didn't report the facts of the case? Could it be because you don't give two dams about the facts of the case? Could it be because you don't even bother with the legal analysis? I mean, meanwhile, MSNBC, again, repository of all virtue. They have Al Sharpton, a two-time quasi-riot insider and falsifier of actual criminal activity by Tawana Browley. And blaming police and DAs for a false rape that never happened. This guy, they're bringing on MSNBC to talk about race-based cases. It's just wonderful. Our media are fomenting racial unrest in the country. And they are doing it with, with a broad sense of, of their own virtue. Here is Al Sharpton. How this guy remains on TV after being the kind of piece of crap he is is beyond me. Here is, here is Al Sharpton. I think it's grossly insufficient. It does not deal with the fact that the life of Breonna Taylor was taken. It does not address uh, being a a victim of being killed. The value of her life is not at all addressed in these charges. You could get endangerment if you shot in the air at nothing. 
You took a woman's life. In returning fire from a person who was firing upon you during a no-knock drug drug bust. What? And this was the media. The media are fomenting this stuff. They want this stuff. The media want conflicts. Whether they want conflict on the level of what happens after the election, as we'll see, or whether they want conflict when it comes to race-based violence in the country. MSNBC hosts a guy named Jason Johnson, and he literally says, you cannot go anywhere if you're black in America. You can't go anywhere if you're black in America to be safe. It's weird because there are 43 million black Americans. The number of unarmed black Americans who are shot by police every year numbers under 20. But apparently for black in America, you literally can go nowhere, anywhere to be safe in America. Amazing stuff from Jason Johnson. Cops busted into my house right now and shot me on the air. What Daniel Cameron basically told America is that that would be legal. If they thought that there was something wrong, I could be shot in broad daylight on national television in my house because the cops can break in and shoot whoever they want if they're concerned. No, that's that not, no. OK, is, just stop this moron. That, that's that's fundamentally untrue. That is the greatest lie. The cops could not break down Jason Johnson's door in the middle of a broadcast and shoot him. You know what they would need to do if that if that were to happen? God forbid. You know what would have to happen? Number one, they would have to have a no knock drug warrant taken out with a judge. Two, they would have to bust through the door. Three, Jason Johnson would have to fire on them before they fired on him in order for that to happen. They were returning fire. So no, they can't do what Jason Johnson just said and bust down my door if they think something is wrong and then just shoot me in cold blood. No, they cannot do that. They would go to jail for that. Okay, but apparently, the, again, this is the, the, the media fomenting the idea that black Americans are living under the boot of white Americans in the same way that black Americans were living under the evils of white supremacy for at least several centuries of America's existence. MSNBC's Kristen Clark repeating this message. It's over and over and over and over again. And then you wonder why people are in the streets literally firing weapons at police officers, which is what happened in Louisville last night. This all culminates last night in, in violent protests that break out, including the shooting of two Louisville police officers. And then you wonder why this happens. You rev people up to the pitch where you say that black people literally cannot be safe in America, that any black person in America, including prominent commentators on MSNBC, can be shot and murdered at any moment by white cops. And then you wonder how it is that violence breaks out. They know violence is going to break out and they do not give a damn, apparently. I don't know how else to interpret this sort of irresponsible and insane commentary. Here's MSNBC's Kristen Clark explaining that racism infuses all policing, all of it. There are those who say, why are people protesting? Why does the Black Lives Matter movement exist? And it exists because of moments like this, when the system fails us as black people. It's an incredibly disappointing day and a reminder of the tremendous work that must be done to address the ways in which racism infects every aspect of policing, the criminal justice system, and our lives. Okay, except that you offer no prescription for removing racism from any of these things because you know full well this is not a system of racism. This is not racism. Okay, this is a tragedy. Not all tragedies are crimes, and not all crimes have to do with racism. But in America, for the left, all tragedies are crimes, and all crimes are indicative of an evil American system. The most insane comments of the day came courtesy of Cheryl Dorsey, another MS MSNBC is just a trash heap. Cheryl Dorsey on MSNBC saying that the attorney general of Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, because he's black, he's particularly bad because he's complicit in the system. Don't you see? He is, he's a racist, right? Because you're either racist or you're anti-racist. He's not anti-racist because he's in favor of the system and therefore he's a racist. Here is Cheryl Dorsey claiming, I am not kidding you, this is her quote, that Cameron is skin folk, not kin folk, you see. So he's black, but he's not truly black because were he truly black, he apparently would have indicted these officers without 
any underlying legal predicate. Here's Cheryl Dorsey. I find all of his remarks with regards to this whole entire press conference offensive. And let me just speak to this whole celebrity influencer thing. While they can't speak for Kentuckians, let me say this as a black woman. He does not speak for black folks. He's skin folk, but he is not kin folk. And so just like he thinks they can't speak for Kentucky because he's up there with a black face, he does not speak for all of us. This was not a tragedy. This was a murder. He should be ashamed of himself. It was not a murder. It is clear it was not a murder from all of the underlying evidence, all of it. But again, that means that he, he's skin folk. He's not kin folk, right? He's not truly black. A truly black person would recognize how deeply evil America is and that every incident, no matter what the underlying fact pattern is indicative of that religious view that America is deeply evil and racist. As we will see, this results in an extraordinary amount of bad behavior that is quickly overlooked by the media, as well as a bunch of white liberal prostration before the sloganeering nonsense of the Black Lives Matter movement. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that right now is a very bad time to go to an auto parts store. In fact, you know what? Never is an excellent time to go to an auto parts store. Instead, you should check out rockauto.com. I mean, you go to the auto parts store and you're asking them for a part, then they have to order it online and then they upcharge you. They might give you a different price based on whether you're an expert or whether you're a newbie. We're never gonna get any of that at rockauto.com. It comes directly to you and they have excellent selection. And you can actually take the time to get the right part. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear. Like airlines do, why would you spend up to twice as much on the same parts? RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to RockAuto.com right now. Shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com, they're always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much again for the same parts? They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Check them out at rockauto.com. The internet makes everything cheaper and better. Why wouldn't you apply that to car parts? Go check them out at rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, Shapiro in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Okay, we're going to get to the violence that broke out last night in Louisville and the media's willingness to cover for it. We're also going to get to the Supreme Court and the very controversial Trump comments about whether he would hand over power if he loses the election. We'll get to that in one second first. As part of our Daily Wire audience, there are a lot of different ways you can take in this magnificent podcast. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or another podcast app. You can also watch our podcast on YouTube, Facebook, or over at dailywire.com. Here's the bottom line. We are making our content available to you anywhere you watch or listen. Daily Wire members can now enjoy our shows on Apple TV and Roku, so members can enjoy all of the visual elements of this podcast and our other shows on your big screen, either live or on demand. Find the Daily Wire on Apple TV or Roku and download today. You have to be an insider member to watch live, so head on over to dailywire.com slash Shapiro. Use code WATCH at checkout to get 15% off your membership purchase. This deal is not going to last long, so act fast if you want live shows on your big screen. Plus, that one-of-a-kind, highly coveted leftist tears tumbler. Ooh, ah. Again, that is dailywire.com slash Shapiro to get 15% off with code WATCH. Download the Daily Wire on your Apple TV and Roku today. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So as the entire media predictably avoids mentioning the facts of the Breonna Taylor case in pursuit of a narrative that America is deeply evil and that Daniel Cameron is deeply evil and Donald Trump is deeply evil and the flag is deeply evil and you should kneel for all of these things and that you should go out in the streets, right? And you should protest. You shouldn't get violent, guys, against the system that has its boot on your neck, but you should definitely protest. Shockingly, people both protest and also get violent. Who could have predicted such a thing except for anyone with a functioning prefrontal cortex? So last night in New York City, thousands of people marching in New York City. I, I will say I am deeply amused 
by the fact that the media continue to do this sort of mask shaming, crowd shaming thing where Trump holds a rally. Like, oh, look at that. Big crowds. Very bad. Then giant crowds show up in order to protest whatever the media liked that day and egg on that day. And they're like, oh, no problem at all. So here are thousands of people in New York City who are marching. I mean, they literally can't go to work, so it makes some sense. There's thousands of people in close proximity to one another. And people are like, oh, well, they're wearing masks. I mean, they're wearing masks. Yeah, if they were on the beach, you wouldn't be shouting that, would you? You'd be talking about the evils of Ron DeSantis. Okay, meanwhile, over in Louisville, people showed up en masse, of course, and, and decided to protest, but they didn't just show up. They had organized violent activity plan. I mean, there was tape yesterday circulating in the middle of the day. A U-Haul literally just shows up on the streets of Louisville and people start unloading shields and batons and all sorts of fun stuff. And this is Black Lives Matter protesters unloading signs that say abolish the police with the anarchist symbols and Antifa members who are wearing all of their black gear. They're getting their shields. They're getting their signs. They're ready to go. Why, look at that. Look at that. Look at all that spontaneous social justice action popping up from a truck. And you just unload the truck and hand this stuff off to people. Really, really solid stuff. And meanwhile, a giant crowd confronted a police line. And all of this, again, is good in the middle of a COVID pandemic. The pandemic doesn't exist anymore, guys. You can't go to your job. You can't visit mom in a hospital. But you can definitely shout at a cop within two feet of him. This is good stuff happening in Louisville yesterday. Yeah, you seen a lot of masks there? How about that? A lot, a lot of masks you seeing right there? No, no, you're not. You're seeing people directly yelling in other people's faces. I like this guy with the tennis racket. It's like Roger Federer over here, probably on his off day. Carrying clubs, carrying batons, good, good times. Lots of mask wearing. Just That's probably fine. All, all of it's probably fine. Media have anything to say about this? Of course not. Okay, meanwhile, people were running around carrying clubs, cursing at police officers. The police officers literally just standing there and ignoring them. Now, if this were a fascist police force, you think they would be doing that? You think this sort of stuff happens in Belarus? I don't think so. Here are people literally walking through police lines, shouting at police officers, harassing police officers. Really a nice group of people. Really, really nice stuff happening right here. Very classy. Rioters in the middle of the day were targeting businesses as well, so that was excellent. People just running into businesses. Hey, look, it was time to uh, go and loot an antique store. I mean, some of us just need an antique, guys. They were looting a place called, it looks like, Andrew Gentile Antiques. People literally just going and knocking over chairs. And I mean, if you need an ottoman to protest Breonna Taylor's death, you need an ottoman, gang. I mean, these are, these are important moments. Now we know that last night two police officers were shot in Louisville. According to Reuters, Louisville on Thursday braced for a second night of protest after two police officers were shot during demonstrations over a decision by a grand jury to bring no direct charges against policemen in the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor. The protests erupted in the Kentucky city on Wednesday immediately after the state AG announced none of the three white officers involved in a deadly botched raid on Taylor's apartment would have to face charges of causing the black woman's death. One officer was indicted on charges of endangering her neighbors because he fired at a wall. Civil rights activists decried the outcome as a miscarriage of justice in keeping with a nationwide pattern of unwarranted police violence against minorities. The demonstration, now the headlines are just wonderful here. The demonstration that started peacefully on Wednesday night turned violent after dark when two officers were shot and wounded. Police arrested 127 people in Louisville. 127 people. Also, protests flared up in New York, L.A., Atlanta, and Seattle. In Oregon, in Portland, police once again declared a riot on Wednesday in the unrest that followed the grand jury decision. Here is how Reuters headlined this stuff. This is a, this is a Reuters headline. You ready? Demonstrations in Louisville wore on past nightfall in defiance of a 9 p.m. curfew and remained mostly peaceful 
Until several gunshots rang out in the midst of a skirmish between protesters and heavily armed police. Oh, is that several gunshots rang out, you see? They just rang out randomly. And also, it was mostly peaceful until people shot cops. The media are actively downplaying violence. The media are actively covering for violence. They're saying that the more rageful you are, the more justified is your rage. That is the argument that is being made. It's disgusting, it's wrong, and it is undergirded by another disgusting wrong idea, which is that America is brutally, viciously, unalterably racist, and that every incident, no matter the fact pattern, is indicative of that racism. Now, the good news is that this makes middle-aged white ladies feel real good about themselves. There's some middle-aged white ladies who feel really, really good about themselves for being able to declare their dissociation from the rest of evil white America. Apparently, one of these people is the president of Ohio University, of Ohio State, rather, the Ohio State University. Her name is Christina M. Johnson, and she put out a statement after Breonna Taylor. Again, remember, this happened in Kentucky. This is in Ohio, right? This is the Ohio State University. Here is President Christina M. Johnson explaining, we cannot accept this verdict. We can't accept it, you see, because she's a woke white lady. And as a woke white middle-aged lady who is speaking a foreign language, reading off the cue cards printed for her by Robin D'Angelo and Imbram X. Kendi, she is going to be anti-racist. And to be anti-racist means, of course, to tear down the systems. So I guess that she's going to have to take those diplomas off the wall. She's going to have to give up that office to somebody black in the name of racial justice. And she's going to have to abdicate her position and make sure that all subjects at Ohio State University are advised to teach the social justice warrior nonsense that Kendi would love. Here is, here is the president of the Ohio State University participating in the death of intellectualism at the highest level. We grieve the tragic and senseless loss of Breonna Taylor, a daughter, a friend, a niece, a loved one who was unarmed and asleep. The breakdown in the justice system and the killings of unarmed black and brown people in our country has become all too familiar tragically. This isn't going to stop until we create an anti-racist world. We must come together to draw strength from each other and advance our collective vision for a better world where we one day have justice for all. Well, you know, why don't you read off those cue cards? The Maoist struggle sessions have begun. We have to create an anti-racist world, an anti-racist world. Okay, so I very much look forward to the federal investigation of Ohio State University for its complicity in systemic racism, the same way that Princeton is now being investigated for racism since they admitted they're complicit in systemic racism. Here's the deal. She doesn't believe she's a racist. She doesn't. She knows she's not a racist because she isn't a racist, but she is a racist by Ibram X. Kennedy's calculation because she is part of the racist system, you see. And it doesn't matter if the system has done something racist with, re with regard to Breonna Taylor or not. Any, any system that results in an unequal outcome, okay? Not that the due process was given and then the outcome was what it was. It results in an unequal outcome. That means the system is racist. And so you have to have performative wokeness by a bunch of elite white people talking about how they can regain the moral high ground simply by declaring themselves part of the anti-racist movement. Now, the thing is that they can never declare themselves fully anti-racist. Ibram X. Kendi has said this clearly. He says you can never reach the level of anti-racism. You can try to cleanse those racist thetans over and over and over, but until you continue to pay the price, eventually you might be clear, but that's in the far future. And even then, you're not really clear because we can always point back to the fact that you are complicit in your own whiteness, even if you are unconsciously complicit in your own whiteness. At no point do you have to offer any proof of your position if you're Ibram X. Kendi. You don't have to offer a single iota of data to back your position that anti-racist training makes America less racist. Not one. It is a religion. It is a religion. The media participate in this religious practice. It is a religious practice to believe that America is racist based on a case in which a woman is shot 
accidentally by police officers returning fire in a no-knock raid. Okay, that, that is a religious position, that that is indicative of 400 years of American racism. The only way that you can believe that is if you've already come up with the outcome and the outcome is unfalsifiable. And that is, that is what is happening right here. Now, the good news is that we can always count on our politicians, particularly those in the Democratic Party, to really focus in on the true cause of the violence we're watching in our major cities. Uh, I did find this amusing. Mayor Ted Wheeler, so there was another riot declared last night in Portland, Oregon. Ted Wheeler, the worst mayor in America. I mean, there's been heavy competition this year. We've got Eric Garcetti on that list. We've got Bill de Blasio on that list. We've got Lori Lightfoot on that list. We've got Lan uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms on that list. Mayor Ted Wheeler, dude takes the cake. I mean, we, we, he even beats the Minneapolis mayor guy. Mayor Ted Wheeler is just a bleep show. He tweeted out, on September 26th, agitators plan on coming to Portland to spread messages of hate and racism. Values we don't welcome here in Portland. If you intend to come to our city, our home, to spread hate and provoke violence, don't. Now, apparently this is directed against the Proud Boys. It's fine to say to the Proud Boys, we don't like your values. You're literally every night greenlighting BLM and Antifa attacking police officers every night in your city for months on end. Yes, clearly the problem is that some right-wingers are going to come into uh, Portland. Some, some alt-righters are going to come into Portland. Yeah, that, that's clearly the, the big problem, Mayor Ted Wheeler. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. Okay, so that was, this is story of the day, number one. The other controversy of the day in which the media have been promulgating and pushing the possibility of violence is the story that President Trump is not going to leave peacefully. Now, show of hands, how many people truly believe that the president is not going to leave peacefully if he loses the election? Okay, no hands up. That's what I thought. You're all full of crap. Just going to put it out there. You're all full of crap. None of you in the media believe that Trump won't leave peacefully if he loses. If he loses, he will be ushered out of office. And he'll be ushered out of office, whether he likes it or not. He is not going to hole up in the Oval Office, Al Pacino style at the end of Scarface, snorting lines and firing guns through the door and shouting about, meet my little friend. Like, that's not what's going to happen. He's just going to leave. That's all that's going to happen. We all know this. This is perfectly obvious. Donald Trump is a person who says a lot of crap. Is it good crap? No, very often it's bad crap. And Trump does not help himself when he says bad and stupid crap in response to a bunch of questions that are bad and stupid. But this notion that Trump is going to prevent his removal from the White House by any available means is a, it's a leftist fantasy. It is a wish because they would like violence. They would. Okay, they've been promoting this for months now. We've seen store. The only people who gamed out the possibility, by the way, of actually involving themselves in some sort of resistance with the use of the military is John Podesta. He actually went through the full exercise of what happens if there's a divide between the Electoral College and the popular vote again, and then there are a bunch of rogue electors, and then California decides to break away from the federal government. Like, they went through that actual exercise. We have seen leftists fantasizing about the possibility of violence after the election so as to justify their preparation for violence after the election. There's a long article in The Atlantic, like a super long article in The Atlantic by Barton Gelman called The Election That Could Break America. If the vote is close, Donald Trump could easily throw the election into chaos and subvert the result. Who will stop him? And then he lays out a bunch of variations on the theme that maybe there will be Trump supporters who create combat in the streets. He says, suppose that caravans of Trump supporters adorned in Second Amendment accessories converge on big city polling places on election day. They have come, they say, to investigate reports on social media of voter fraud. Counter-protesters arrive, fistfights break out, shots are fired, voters flee or cannot reach the polls. Then suppose Trump declares an emergency. Federal personnel in battle dress, staged nearby in advance, move in to restore law and order and secure the balloting. Amid ongoing clashes, they stay to monitor the canvas. They close the streets that lead to the polls. They take custody of uncounted ballots in order to preserve evidence of fraud. 
Norm Ornstein of American Enterprise Institute says the president can't cancel the election. But what if he says we're in an emergency and we're shutting down this area for a period of time because of the violence taking place? If you're in Trump's camp and heedless of boundaries, he said, what I would expect is you're not going to do one or two of those things. You'll do as many as you can. Barton Gelman says there are variations of the nightmare. The venues of intervention could be post offices. The predicate could be a putative intelligence report on forged ballots sent from China. And then he admits, this is speculation, of course, but none of these scenarios is far removed from things the president has already done or threatened to do. What does what he threaten to do? Well, he threatened to dispatch the National Guard to D.C. and sent DHS to Portland, Oregon. He said he might invoke the Insurrection Act and deploy the U.S. military in order to protect life and property. The federal government has little basis to intercede during elections, but no one familiar with A.G. Bill Barr's view of presidential power should doubt he can find authority for Trump. Okay, so basically, this is just a long masturbatory fantasy by Barton Gellman in the pages of The Atlantic talking about how Trump is going to steal the election. He's going to he's going to mess around with the Constitution in order to ensure that he remains in office. Now, what is the evidence that any of this is going to happen? First of all, he says, well, there are contingency plans. Like if X, Y and Z happens, then maybe there will be an attempt to invoke certain constitutional principles in order to prevent electors from voting or whatever. Democrats have already announced they have the same contingency plans. John Podesta gamed it out already. And by the way, worth noting, Hillary Clinton literally said like a month ago that under no circumstances should Joe Biden concede the election. Under no circumstances should he concede the election. So when we talk about discounting the results of the election, what do you think will be more probable? Violence in the streets if Trump wins or violence in the street if Trump loses? I think everyone knows the answer to this. You and the media know the answer to this too. Here was Hillary Clinton just a few weeks ago saying that Joe Biden should never concede the election ever under any circumstances. They have a couple of scenarios that they're looking uh, toward. One is messing up absentee balloting so that they then get maybe a narrow advantage in the Electoral College on Election Day. Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch and if we are as focused and relentless as the other side is. This is amazing. Okay, we're seeing violence in the streets. Is it right-wing violence that we're seeing in the streets? We saw protests after the last election. Was it right-wing protests? Were there lots of protests after Barack Obama beat Mitt Romney? I missed it. Oh, wait, no, I didn't miss it. It didn't happen. Okay, this is all leftist wish casting. This is all projection. It's all projection. It's just, it's absurd. And now, hilariously enough, the Democrats are reversing themselves. So a few weeks ago, it was voting in person is really bad, guys. We can't vote in person because of COVID. COVID's super serious. Now, they realize they shot themselves in the foot because number one, voting in person is not bad. They had a huge vote in Wisconsin just a few months back. Lots of people showed up. No COVID outbreak. So you can vote in person. But they were trying to claim that Trump had botched COVID, so he couldn't vote in person, so everybody should vote by mail, hoping that there would be an overwhelming balloting advantage in the mail-in ballots. Now they're realizing, oh, wait a second, a lot of people aren't going to bother voting by mail, and so you're going to end up with a lot of Trump voters who believe that COVID has been exaggerated by the media showing up to the polls and voting, and our people aren't going to show up. So now they're reversing themselves, and they're saying every Democrat should show up to vote in person. Well, isn't that weird? What happened? Did COVID just wane? Did COVID just wane? The electoral chaos that's being fostered right now is not being fostered by Trump. It is not. Democrats have have put forward these bizarre conspiracy theories about how Trump is going to foil the election by removing mailboxes, which is just absolute sheer bullcrap about how the post office doesn't have enough money to process mail-in balloting, which, of course, is absolute sheer nonsense. They've been complaining that Trump is going to somehow manipulate the systems of government in order to ensure that he never leaves office. Sure, it's speculation. Sure, there's no indicator that he's actually doing any of this. But, you know... 
you know, it could happen. And that's why we have to mobilize right now. And, and that's why we should never surrender, according to Hillary Clinton, to the rabid cheers of the MSNBC recount crowd. Which is my favorite part of that little Hillary Clinton quote is the cutaway shot of the person asking her the question, literally raising her arms in triumph as Hillary says, never concede the election. These are the same people who say that Stacey Abrams is still governor of Georgia. Okay, Stacey Abrams lost by 50,000 votes. They never accepted the results of that election. Okay, so does that alleviate the problem when President Trump says dumb stuff? No, it, it actually does not. So President Trump was asked yesterday about whether he would commit to a peaceful transfer of power. Now, let's remember something about Trump. If he has never thought about a question, he has a pattern of thought. Okay, his pattern of thought is, well, think about it. I haven't really decided yet. You know, we'll have to see what happens. He says this about everything. You could ask him, Mr. President, do you have any plan to launch a rocket filled with chihuahuas to the moon to set up a space colony? He'd be like, well, I haven't thought about that. It might be a good idea. Many people are saying it's a very good idea. Like you could, you could literally say anything to him. Mr. President, do you have a plan to create a giant drill down to the center of the earth and then harness the heat of the earth's core and use it for energy to power the grid? And Trump be like, well, that's, you know, that's something I've never thought of, but maybe, maybe you know, it's many people. I have thought of it, actually. I've thought of it so much more than any other human has thought of it. And it, it might be a good idea. The experts are looking into it. We'll look into it. Okay, that's how he answers any question he has not considered for more than 20 seconds. That is really, right? And this is why when people ask him about like QAnon and he doesn't know what the hell QAnon is, he'll be like, QAnon, they, they seem like good people. They like me. I mean, like, whatever. I mean, all I see is that they like me. That's all I, and then they're like, well, they, they say that they, that you're preventing cannibalism. And he's like, well, you know, cannibalism is bad. Do you like cannibalism? I don't like cannibalism. Like, this is Trump. He is a font of Babel. Okay, he is not a tower. He's not quite a tower of Babel, but he's certainly a fountain of Babel. Right? Out of that mouth emerge many things. Some of them are fully formed thoughts. Many of them are not. Okay, so yesterday, on the, after, in the, on the aftermath of this, this Barton Gelman idiotic piece in The Atlantic, speculating that Trump is going to steal the election and all of this, Trump is asked about committing to a peaceful transfer of power. And Trump, who does not even compute the question, he, again, people are going to say that I'm defending Trump's comments. The comments are egregious. Okay, no president should not say, there, there should not be any president who says anything other than, of course, if I lose an election, there will be a peaceful transfer of power, as there has been in every presidential election since the beginning of the republic. Right? That is the clear and obvious answer. It doesn't make it any better that Trump is just spouting nonsense babble here. Right? He should have a clear answer. But again, Am I going to take Trump super seriously on this stuff? Do I think that Trump is now getting ready in the basement of the White House tanks from the Secret Service to, def to defend the White House against the encroachment of the incoming inaugural committee? No, I don't. And I think that nobody in the media does either. And they know it. They know it. They've crafted a narrative out of whole cloth where Trump holes up in the White House, snorting coke and firing guns through the windows. And they're going to stick by this narrative. And then they're going to go to Trump to say whatever dumb thing he says to pour gasoline on the stupid fire. And the stupid fire rages out of control. And nobody has an incentive to actually just grab a damn fire extinguisher and point out he's not going to do any of this crap. We all know he's not going to do any of this crap. Anyway, here's Trump saying a very dumb thing. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots and the ballots are a disaster. I and, understand that, but and, people are rioting. Do you commit oh, to making sure that there's a no, peaceful wanna, transfer of power? We want to have get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very trans. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Uh, the ballots are out of control. You know it, and you know who knows it better than anybody else. The Democrats know it better than anybody else. Okay, so the way that the question is phrased is peaceful transition of power, right? Are you going to get violent? And Trump takes this as, am I going to concede the election? 
In the same way that Hillary Clinton took the question, am I going to concede the election or should Biden concede the election and said no, Trump says no. Okay, so the media spin themselves up into a frenzy over this. Now, again, did Trump say a dumb, bad thing here? Yes. Again, no president should say anything other than, of course, if I lose the election and it's legitimately held, then I will peacefully transfer power. That's always the obvious answer. There's no excuse for him to say anything else. Also, he says dumb crap all the time and no one should take this seriously because it's not serious. It is not a serious thing. This is not a serious answer from a particularly serious person. End of story. But the media spin themselves into a frenzy because, again, this is the narrative they want. The narrative they want is that Trump is a threat. He's an authoritarian threat to the republic. Now, Democrats are seriously, seriously talking. All of the Democratic leadership is currently talking about ending the filibuster, stacking the Senate, packing the court. They are talking openly about measures they can take post-election to resist. Okay, they are openly talking about this stuff. And then they go to Trump and they're like, and President Trump, what do you think? And then in his own inimitable talk radio caller commenter way, they ask him like, so will you peacefully transfer? He's like, I, I like, you know, if the ballots are legit, sure. But if they're not, then you know what? Screw it. Okay. Uh, people very often suggest it's a defense of Trump to say that you don't take him seriously. But what if I don't actually take him that seriously when he says stupid crap because he says it all the time. And if you do, then I don't know what's wrong with you. If you take him super seriously when he says stuff like this, I don't know whether you're being disingenuous or just moronic. Chris Hayes is being both, I think. So here's Chris Hayes on MSNBC saying Trump is plotting a coup. He's plotting a coup, says Chris Hayes. If you're talking to a person and you ask them to commit to behave peacefully and they refuse, they're threatening violence, right? What the president is doing here is the most explicit that he has been about his plans for this election. He's plotting in open and public repeatedly a coup to steal the election and hold on to power. Again, it all sounds crazy to say it is what we are seeing. Those are the plain facts as assembled before us. It's not a behind the scenes type of thing. It's happening in public, in plain view. Okay, so what is the natural consequence of this sort of talk? The natural consequence of this sort of talk is that if Trump were to actually win, Democrats are now going to think that he could it. Democrats are now going to think he stole the election. So they're incentivizing violence. They want the battle in the streets. They're incentivizing this sort of stuff. They've been doing it for months. Okay, you can try to pin it on Trump's idiotic comment yesterday. You can. But here is the reality. For months, they have been claiming that Republicans are going to steal the election, that orange Hitler is going to just maintain power no matter what. They've been saying this since 2015, right? They asked him the same question in 2015. Are you going to concede the election to Hillary Clinton if you lose? And he was like, no, we'll have to see. And then they're like, oh, that's terrible. And then they went and they asked Hillary. And she's like, well, I wouldn't concede either, pretty much. And, and they were like, oh, well, that's okay. Okay, this is projection. The only people who are going to be resisting the results of an election are people on the left. We all know it. We all know that that's the reality. But the left have to project so that they can then claim that it's legit when they quote unquote resist. Because they're resisting a coup. All right. Enough of this stupidity for now. We'll be back a little bit later today with two additional hours of content, including commentary on Anthony Fauci's dust-up with Senator Rand Paul. So he and Rand Paul had a bit of a dust-up where Anthony Fauci said some things that were factually untrue. Uh, And he said them in in pretty high-handed fashion, actually. We'll get to that a little bit later today, but you have to be a subscriber to check all of that out. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. 
Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Democrats attack President Trump for his answer to their question over whether or not he will peacefully transfer power to Joe Biden. Then they proceed to burn a couple more American cities and Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom bans cars. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.